It's time for Talking Michigan Transportation, a podcast devoted to the conversations with people at the forefront of the ongoing mobility revolution. In the state that put the world on wheels, here's your host, MDOT Communications Director, Jeff Cranson. Hi, welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation podcast. It is Wednesday, November 6th, 2019, and I'm very pleased to have a special guest, a very good friend of mine and a mentor, which sounds odd because he's younger than me. But uh, Lloyd Brown, who is my counterpart, the Director of Communications at the American Association of State Highway and Transportation Officials uh, and uh, experienced transportation communicator, having worked uh, in Washington State for several years before he came to Washington, D.C. to run communications for the association. And this week, um, I want to take on a couple topics. First, uh, the discussion about crash and why that's the right term for collisions and incidents that happen when vehicles run into other vehicles or people or buildings or just about anything, uh, rather than the common nomenclature, which is accident, and why the Associated Press quite some time ago changed their style book to say, let's call these things what they are, crashes, and why others, even before AP made that change, had been pushing for it. And Lloyd uh, picked up on a video that MDOT made to promote this concept uh, we released it just recently, and, and Lloyd wrote a blog about it, recalling his history with the word and how he got there. So first, thanks for coming on, Lloyd. Yeah, thank you for having me. Uh, and after we talk a little bit about that, we're going to go over some uh, ballot issues that happened to pass Tuesday, November 5th, uh, across the country, some interesting ones related to transportation, uh, mostly progressive and, and some positive things, but not everywhere, and we'll talk about that. But Lloyd... Spell out what you did in your in your blog and why you were so intrigued uh, at at MDOT resurrecting this crash versus accident discussion. Well, I, I was working at Washington State Department of Transportation, and this must have been oh in the early two thousands. And I was uh, describing to some executives uh, in a meeting uh, about an incident that was taking place right then on the highway, and I described it as an accident. And I was interrupted and cut off, and the engineer who was, who I, one of the engineers I was speaking to said, there are no accidents, this is a crash. And I'm pretty sure I rolled my eyes, I'm pretty sure I thought that was a ridiculous thing. But uh, as we began to talk about it, um, not just then, but later, it really did begin to dawn on me that words matter, and how we frame, uh, how we describe situations ultimately can help us understand uh, some context and help us understand some deeper meaning in the whole thing. And while, you know, this isn't a metaphysical conversation, the fact is that these really aren't accidents. These are situations where uh, there are contributing causes and, and there, you know, the people are making decisions and, and they result in crashes. So what struck me about the timing of this, uh, this happened to all coincide, our, our release of the video and your posting of your blog with the chief executive officer at Boeing testifying before Congress, um, some, some very angry members of Congress, um, about the failure of Boeing and U.S. regulators to identify and, and correct the flaws in the design of the 737 MAX jets that led to two crashes that killed 346 people. And in his, his testimony, in his opening remarks, the CEO called them plane accidents. And uh, a long ago uh, discussion about this, a lot of the headlines that you see and stories that were written about this, this concept of crash versus accident 
um, and some things I've seen on Twitter say, we would never call it a plane accident. Let's stop calling it a car accident. But sure enough, he did, and I have to believe that was on purpose. Oh, I have no doubt it was on purpose. There are some very smart people who are working on his testimony, and it does point to the fact that when we call it an accident, we really are letting uh, somebody off the hook for responsibility. And, And look, it may be a situation where the sun was in somebody's eyes or... Uh, it was a wet road. There were other contributing factors, but at the end of the day, uh, there are when you're operating a vehicle on the highway, uh, there's some accountability when you're behind the wheel. And if we call them crashes, um, there's accountability. If we call them accidents, things just happen, and we shrug our shoulders and move on. Thirty-four thousand people a year die on our roads, and it just is too many. At some point, we have to step up and say enough is enough, let's really start calling it what it is. So, you know, some of the stuff that that gets people really thinking about this and why there are groups out there like Transportation Alternatives and Families for Safe Streets, um, because they've been arguing for some time that accident makes it seem like crashes are inevitable rather than preventable, and in a subtle way they make the case that it normalizes the crash and it discourages us from looking more deeply into the causes, you know, whether it's alcohol or reckless driving or not driving for conditions, snow, rain, you know, you mentioned wet pavement. Um, the term black ice you hear often in Michigan, and you probably heard that in Washington State, um, another complete misnomer, but it sounds like, you know, I, well, it's not my fault because there was black ice. Um, so the the push has been to, to at least get that into the vernacular so that people use the right word and, and say it's their fault, which is kind of what you got at in your in your blog. But there's really, and you researched some of this in the past, and I think, again, for what you wrote last week, um, this goes back a long time to when cars were first really uh, starting to proliferate the public roads in in the country. And there were a lot of run-ins with other vehicles and with pedestrians. And they were even described in some headlines as killing machines. And they weren't called accidents at first, and the industry, uh, just like the you know the hardcore manufacturing industry before them, went on a campaign to try to make accident the word that people used on purpose so that you didn't think it was because of cars. Yeah, and, and it, there are amazingly quite a bit of politics around the uh, finite resource that we call the, the the traveling lane. You know, people argue over uh, you know who should have who, and I mean people, whether people should have primacy in the roads or we should give it all over to vehicles. And that kind of ongoing debate between people who are advocating for bicyclists or pedestrians versus, uh, let's say, you know, freight or, you know, the throughput of vehicles, that kind of discussion it goes on all the time in transportation circles. And they're not easily solved conflicts, but uh, what you're what you're describing is some of the earliest uh, um, sort of battles that were waged, and you know ultimately the convenience of the of the automobile won out over the the you know legitimate rights of the pedestrian, and and that's what we're living with today in many cases, and that's where that language comes from. So, you know, it's just one more reason why it's uh, maybe. Uh, long time coming, but not too late to begin to use the right language when we're talking about the situation. Well, that effort was so successful that it it helped, you know, create 
the the crime and the the shame of of jaywalking and you know I didn't know that history till I researched it but that was because jay was a term used to describe somebody who was a rube or a hick it was a you know it was a pejorative and so somebody that was crossing outside of a crosswalk was deemed to be a rube and therefore you know it's it's their own dumb fault now obviously pedestrians do bear responsibility for their own safety and we've got you know new things going on with technology just like we do with cars there's a such thing as walking and texting <laughs> which can be dangerous in itself but we've we've kind of swung the pendulum all the way the other way now with a lot of a lot of cities a lot of urban areas uh, going to great lengths to make things more pedestrian and bicycle friendly and I know that's important to you as a cyclist and somebody who sometimes rides all the way in from your home in Maryland to downtown DC um, so you know what's that like yeah and and then you know add add to it things like e-scooters and and uh, I'm seeing more and more of these uh, these motorized skateboards and and I don't know what those single wheel things are that people are are hopping aboard and they have a little and have a little electronic controller and then they're rolling around. There are all kinds of things that are rolling on the sidewalks and going down the street. And, and so in the modern city today, uh, it, it really is something where whether you're a pedestrian or a driver of a vehicle, uh, you have to pay attention and keep your head on a swivel. But competing for that space and uh, being in a situation where, uh, you know, everybody has a right to move and the idea of movement is the idea of freedom, and we want to be able to move freely. Uh, all of that comes together, and it, and it comes back into, uh, you know, the language we use to describe the situation is, is loaded, and we have to be careful about it. And I think that it matters when we talk about uh, the different modes, and we've got to be careful. I've worked, uh, you know, with state DOTs around the country, uh, and when we're looking at the syntax that's used around some of the transportation priorities within our departments to do a communication audit of the way that we describe, you know, our roadways and the vehicles and, and what is the principal, um, you know, what is the priority. And almost always our state DOTs are, are prioritizing vehicles over people. And you know, it's something that you and I've talked about, and I think strongly that we should be talking about people and the movement of people and goods rather than just the movement of vehicles. Well, your association is, uh, you know, has highways in the name, so it's 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 in, it's inevitable. Transportation, Jeff. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I, I think that uh, to me, this this role of, of people who communicate about transportation is to just be really, really vigilant with media, with reporters, uh, and and just remind them every time. And I, you saw that I did today, and and what was otherwise a very Good story, very thorough account of uh, of what's going on in Congress, and some some truly bipartisan support to look at the increase in bicycle and and pedestrian fatalities across the country. And the McClatchy reporter, you know, used the term accident. And when I sent him a note about it and said, "Hey, really good story, but just to be clear, you know, AP style is crash," he right away did a mea culpa, wrote back very humbly, and said, "You're right." And uh, you know, was was willing to correct it, and I ask my staff to to do that with reporters all the time, and and some most are, are pretty good about it. Some think you're splitting hairs, but as you said, words do matter, and uh, I almost wonder if we'll still be doing this by the time uh, some other word 
comes into vogue. Well, as long as you're going to tilt against that windmill, Jeff, I'll be your Sancho Plaza or whatever that character's name is. Uh, well, we can we can go after it together. But um, Lloyd, you, going with literary references, I like it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it's my you know the, the writer background that I have, and and uh, this this idea of uh, you know the the media ecology and and the the framing that we use to describe the world around us. And uh, so whether it's crash versus accident or some other way of describing our transportation system, um, you know, ultimately we should really pay attention to the way in which we use the language. Well, sure. I mean, the outgrowth <laughs> of that is the other way. dangerous intersection, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, and, and we were... We both were on an email the other day where a researcher who cares very deeply about safety and is challenging some, some ideas of safety uh, kept using the term accident all throughout the, the research uh, that, that he was doing. So it's not isolated to DOTs or, or just state DOTs. It's, it's really prevalent throughout uh, law enforcement. It's prevalent throughout the media. And it's, you know, it's common vernacular with the public. So this isn't an easy hill to climb. It's going to take us some time to get people to to uh, use a different language. But you point out, it started that we were talking about killing machines. So, you know, it wasn't just a sleek BMW racing down the road. It used to be a killing machine. Yeah, that's a good point. So let's talk about some of those uh, ballot issues uh, across the country and, and what voters had to say about transit and other transportation-related issues. Uh, one that you followed very closely is in your home state of Washington, and uh, it's not so good in terms of transportation funding. Well, it, it, it really isn't, and it, it really, I think, uh, for local leaders in the Pacific Northwest uh, today, or at least up in the Washington State area, are, are you know, they're faced with quite a conundrum. Uh, in, in that state, there are, there's the ability for the people to put an initiative on the ballot, um, and, and the threshold in terms of signatures is really rather low. So uh, this is, I think, the third time in Washington State that this particular concept, the, the idea that car tabs, licensing fees will be $30, has been on a statewide ballot, and, and uh, in this particular case, it has, uh, it, it was successful last night, and um, this particular proposal is going to hit, um, it's going to hit some of the western Washington counties and cities uh, very hard, and particularly Sound Transit, uh, which has been expanding, um, you know, just came out, it, it, I don't know if it was last week or the week before the the updated um, numbers that uh, that Washington and and the city of Seattle has led the nation in in reducing the number of cars on on the road or people registered uh, car owners in 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 their area. So you know, the expansion of transit up there has been rapid and it's been embraced. And so this is this is going to hurt them. Yeah, absolutely, and and it's it's. Incredibly short-sighted, but I can see why it easily passes. I mean, that gets into a discussion about, uh, you know, governing by referendum or by ballot issue and whether we elect representatives to use sound judgment and, and have some courage and make difficult decisions. Um, and if, if that's not why we elect our legislators, then should we just do everything uh, with the vote of the people? And then I guess we're a democracy and not a republic, as you pointed out. Are, are you fearful, yeah. um, you know, sitting where you do in Washington, D.C., and looking at the, the broader landscape, that this is, this is a trend? Because at the same time, as we know, 
some cities, some big cities, passed some some pretty uh, progressive initiatives, especially for transit. Well, there there was, and and one of the things that we find as we follow these around the country every year uh, is that people are willing to pay for transportation when they see a direct benefit to themselves. The the, uh, the you know the, I think Maine also had a, uh, a yeah 105 million dollar bond. Expand- yeah, had some had the opportunity to expand some bonding, so the people in Maine, you know, felt like the 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 government, the leaders there in that state, had made the case for the benefits that they were going to receive, and and really when we when we talk about these things, we know that the benefits can't just be kind of theoretical, esoteric benefits. They've got to be direct benefits. The you know the the bonds are going to help pay for this particular thing or or this particular set of maintenance priorities or fix these particular bridges. And that specificity really does help to motivate people to go to the go to the ballot, which is one reason why we see transit does fairly well at the ballot box throughout the country. People want want good transit in their communities. If they don't ride it themselves, they want it as an option for others. So that's always been something that that uh, has been you know, well-researched and, and pretty pretty steady over the years. The, the Northwest up in the Seattle, I think it goes beyond, you know, they want good transit, but in this particular case, they also don't want their their license fees for their vehicles to be so much. So, you know, perhaps there's another way that Sound Transit will have to come back or other leaders will have to come back and say, okay, these are priorities that you've already approved or, or that you, you've said before that you want, so how are we going to pay for them and look at some different ways of, generating revenue. Yeah, in that sense, transportation isn't that different from education and other things that when you ask people if it's important, they say yes, and if you ask them if they value it, they say yes, and if you ask them if they want to pay for it, they say no. So, <laughs> um, You know, Colorado, I don't know if you looked at that at all, but there was a bit of a mixed message there and that a statewide transportation issue failed, but in Denver... Uh, there was a charter change voted on, uh, overwhelmingly approved, to make the Denver Department of Transportation a cabinet-level uh, agency with you know direct access to the mayor there. And the mayor, Michael Hancock, uh, sees this as part of his grand plan to double the share of trips that are taken on foot or by bike or bus or train by 2030 and reduce solo driving trips by 50%. So really, I think what I saw as I looked over these things, Houston passed a big one, $3.5 billion uh, for transit projects. Um, Cincinnati took the first step toward a more robust transit system there that would actually be countywide, and the second step is going to require all of Hamilton County to vote on a tax, so we'll see how that goes. But really, you you see in these transportation votes what you see uh, with everything else in our country, that there's a a real urban-rural divide on these things. I think, too, in the Colorado, the Denver uh, situation, that there was a promise of savings of 4 or $5 million a year by, by making this move, and, and they pointed toward efficiency in addition to the services that were provided. And in that case, it's reflective of some of the moves that we've seen in some of the other major cities around the country. Washington, D.C. is another example where the Department of Transportation was pulled out of the Public Works Department. Uh, specifically for the opportunity of the mayor to prioritize what he or she wanted to see done with the department. So uh, that may have been one of the things in play in Denver as well. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Well, it'll be interesting to watch. We've got, you know, a, a pretty big one coming up at some point in Michigan. It, it 
it lost narrowly uh, for a, a regional transit authority, something they've been trying for for the, the all of the counties in the Detroit metro area. Really, you know, going back to the, the 80s, in fact, uh, Bill Rustum, who was a policy advisor to Governor Milliken back then, was a policy advisor again to Governor Rick Snyder in the uh, early part of this decade, and, and he was still championing that idea that we need a regional transit authority to have better transit service uh, in and around Detroit. And, I mean, you know the history of Detroit is the Motor City. Um, it, it was the last place that, after being early in the advent of streetcars, uh, you know, the idea was everybody should have their own car, and so buses weren't a priority. But now they are with a lot of young people, with a lot of the growth in the urban center, and it's it's really a necessity for the job providers, and they get it. But getting a, a ballot issue to pass in multiple counties is difficult, and it barely lost in 2016, and they're going to be coming back at some point. So I, I think they're going to be looking at some of these other cities and what they did yesterday, and that could be promising for them and, um, and maybe in other, other cities across the country. So anyway... Um, Thanks, Lloyd, for taking the time to talk about these things. I appreciate it and uh, appreciate your help with the podcast. Absolutely. Well, thanks for inviting me, Jeff. That's a wrap for this edition of Talking Michigan Transportation. Check out show notes and more on SoundCloud or by subscribing on Apple Podcasts.